Welcome back to Path and Bounce Creative Office Hour. My name is Stella Guan. I'm the founder and CEO. And today we have a guest from previously a UX bootcamp, and now he is working as a UX designer. And we're really excited to speak to him. His name is Carrie McPherson. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well, Stella. Yeah, so we actually got connected on LinkedIn recently, and I was uh, nicely surprised to uh, see his experience, how he graduated from a boot camp and was able to land a really successful job. And also, he just told me that he actually went through a lot of interviews and he had a lot to share with us. So I'm really excited to talk to him. Um, so you graduated from the boot camp studying design and you landed uh, a six-figure job, uh, as you said. So you said a lot of your classmates are still searching for jobs. What do you think got you hired? And what set yourself apart from other people? So I think there's a lot to dissect here because what I'm learning over time is that it's not that black and white in order to get hired for a UX um, job. And I mean, just to make a career UX, right? And make a career period that, and, and I'll just start off with my portfolio. I think the best advice that I received on creating my portfolio is that it's about your craft and not your project. So really showcasing your brand, right, your personality, your storytelling as well, and really going above and beyond of the average candidate as, as well. Because a lot of times I had to compete against mid-level designers or people who might have had one year of experience than me, and I was beating them out for interviews. And a friend even told me that um, when I interviewed with companies like Khan Academy or Big Commerce as well, which have really great design cultures, right? So I, I guess, you know, when you're telling your story, you're really focusing on, okay, what kind of companies, what kind of organizations do I want to work for? What kind of industries are, you know, what are people looking for right in the market? So as you've seen in my case study, I have like a kind of a, prod, a job market fit, right? Which is Revitalize, which is a B2B platform. And a lot of employers, when I got a call from them, they would say that they love that case study the most. And I knew that because I originally wanted to work at MailChimp, which is in, is in Atlanta. Um, what set me apart is just really putting a lot of months into my portfolios and making those improvements. And another thing is really going through all those interviews as well. So I went through a total of 18 interviews and I got a chance to do every design challenge there is possible that a designer can come across, take home, whiteboarding, all these other different challenges. And a lot of these interviews, of course, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't ready for those jobs, right? I wasn't ready for those roles. I wasn't qualified, but they were really great experience to prepare me to the next level. So I had to talk to product managers, developers. And when I talked to my peers, a lot of them really didn't do that at all. Even when people who got hired and got their first job. But with me, I was, you know, kind of primed and ready um, when it came to other different things as well, which was, which I, which I was encountering in interviews that other people normally don't encounter. Um, I think it was, really just once again prepare me for the next level in order to get that six-figure job that yeah it was very embarrassing sometimes when they say you don't have enough experience why do we even call you in the first place right of course it was very draining going through you know all these different challenges and things but i think it was worth it so i think things that make me stand out from other candidates is really just doing my homework actually focusing on the basics because in my opinion if you can't answer a simple question don't tell me about yourself or not knowing how to research a company then you don't need to start applying, in my opinion. If you don't have like the really basics understanding of visual designs and grids, then you don't need to really be applying and trying to compete. If you are a person that might have odds stacked against you because you don't have a four-year degree, you never worked in tech, 
a, a day in your life, then you are going to have to over deliver. As being a black male, there's one thing my parents told me is that you're going to have to perform 10 times as harder as your white counterparts, right? Which is true. And I think everyone that's trying I to break that. into UNET, yeah. UX needs to take that approach. They're going to need to type 10 times or 20 times as hard as their counterparts. Because believe it or not, if you're going to a boot camp, you're not competing against entry-level candidates. You're If you get that call for an interview, you're competing against mid-level people, especially if you're in a major city. So yeah, hopefully they answer your question. Yeah, no, this is excellent. I'm, I'm just blown away by how, you know, prepared and well presented you are, even, you know, the, the way you speak, right? That's actually going to really wow a lot of people because uh, unfortunately, you know, sometimes we really judge people from the beginning if, you know, the manner, the mannerism, how they speak, how they sound, you know, how they look, right? So, you know, at the get-go, you already present with the preparedness and enthusiasm that maybe a lot of people don't have. And the fact that you you brought up the fact that because you're from a boot camp, you actually have to overcompensate, over deliver, which is absolutely true. And that really goes back to the article that I that we connected on, which is the article that I published. That I said you have to have a wow factor. Your boot camp is not a wow factor, actually, and your wow factor has to be like, okay, what's so special about you, right? If you if if you're confident, that's special about you. If you know everything that they ask you that's special about you. But in another episode that I, um, I I did, I interview a former UX designer at Apple. She actually wowed people by her incredible confidence. So she actually didn't know the one thing that they asked her. They said, do you know the Apple uh, human interface guidelines? She said, no, but give me three days. I will. So, you know, it, 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 it's something like that that really makes a difference. So I'm really glad that you brought it up. Absolutely. And so tell us what drew you to design in the first place. How, how are you liking it so far? So I actually have a background in technical support working at SaaS companies like AT&T and CareerBuilder. And I was working on like these very complex issues that I was problem solving for clients or customers and even authorized retailers for Cricket Wireless. And uh, I noticed the trend, right, of people calling me on the phone thinking that I was a software engineer saying, why can't you change this? Why can't you do that? And when I would bring it up to upper management, they would say, hey, stay in your place. We already have a team that handles this pretty much. Um, and I just figured that I can't really make a career out of this because even if I did get promoted to like a team lead or a manager, they're taking, you know, they're taking like orders from other departments and other teams. They're not making things happen. And I want to make things happen. And, 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 and I told myself, right, that there has to be a role of tech that really has that perfect balance of psychology, creativity, being in the center of technology and making things, you know, really, really move forward. Right. And most importantly, just speaking up for the underdog, speaking up for people like me that don't have a voice, speaking up for the, the customers and the consumers don't have a voice. And also really adding at the end of the day, that business value. Right. And making that impact and making every cent of what I earn count as well. So I think UX is like a hybrid of all these different things, right? Which is beautiful, especially like product design as well. And it's a role that I'm in right now where I, no one's telling me to stay in my place, that I can really go outside of my comfort zone and I can really try and experiment with different things as well. And I can really just think outside of the box if I need to, right? And experiment and iterate. I'm liking it. I, I'm going to be honest. This is the best career decision I ever made. You know, even though I'm really passionate about music, that, you know, UX is right on par with that. 
because it is a role that's very challenging. It is a role that's very rewarding. It feels really great to do meaningful work, you know, when you know that you're going to have millions and millions of estimated value out of what you're doing, but also that I'm a person that doesn't come from a traditional graphic design background or anything. And I completely surprise people at the company I'm working at now when I tell them that I'm entry level when I'm joining teams and they don't even believe it. So yeah, I, I love it. Wow. That's amazing. You know, it, it's a great testimonial, right? Like people are surprised by the level that you can demonstrate, even if you don't have the background. And speaking of your background, which is music, and I, I, I especially like how you incorporated that into your about page on your website. And it's so colorful and, and really it, it's not like anybody else's, which is what drew people to it. So tell me, how do you brand yourself and how important do you think it is to amplify your personality in your professional career? Definitely. I think, you know, what I see with a lot of boot camp portfolios, not just boot camp, it's mid-levels, because we're going to throw mid-level designers in there. I know how a lot of people are always decking. Just not boot camp, but entry-level people that's trying to break in, right? But it's a lot of mid-level designers. Their portfolios look the same as well. Um, I think when you brand yourself, like, people really want to know about your background, what you can bring to the table, right? And there's no shame in saying that you are a doctor or a nurse or you are a person that worked in a warehouse. If you can bring certain things to the table, and especially if certain organizations are hiring for that job. So I also worked in like logistics. And when I applied to a company called Store that was in Atlanta, which is a really great com um, company, I um, talked about my experience in logistics and said that a lot of people don't understand how complex it is. It's just like the UX process. And a lot of Americans, especially in COVID, that are ordering things, they don't really understand, right? And when I told the recruiter that, she really got excited and she connected with me at, uh, you know, on LinkedIn and she just automatically passed me on to the next round pretty much. And it was a really great experience and very fulfilling because I think that a lot of people don't know that forget about the fame companies, right? There are a lot of organizations that serve products on it based on it, where you used to previously work or where you came from, from your background as well. Even with Google, right? It's really great to really brand and tell your story because recruiters, other people can really connect with that because a lot of people don't know what user experience is. You need other ways to connect with non-designers. A lot of time you're going to be working with non-designers who don't understand anything with UX. And during those times, you do not talk about design. So you have to bring your own personal brand, your own way of connecting with them, right? And connecting with people on a human level. So I remember at my job when I was doing this competitive analysis for franchising, and we use this method called the Iron Triangle. And I think every website and every LinkedIn profile should probably have this, right? Even though you can't really customize LinkedIn like that, but innovation, humanity, and simplicity, which is really great. And I think that's what a portfolio should have. Is it being innovative, right? Is you, are, are you taking you know advantage of the new typography, the new design styles that's out there? Are you showing what you where you come from for your background? So instead of saying I'm a user experience designer focusing on pushing pixels and solving problems, where well, everyone knows what that is, everyone knows what research is, everyone's familiar with that. But what makes you different? What makes you unique? Right. So as you saw in my portfolio, you know Pokemon enthusiast, right? A music aficionado and also a conceptual visionary as well. When you look at, you know, your about page, you want to see what people are actually interested in, what makes them tick about design as well. And it's, it really takes some time, don't get me wrong, to really tell your personal story and to really share your personal brand. But I think it's extremely important because it makes you stand out. So Sean Park, for example, he works at Discord. His portfolio is shown all over the internet. I'm pretty sure a lot of people are familiar with what he has, but he was the main inspiration for my my portfolio yes, because I, it wasn't yeah actually 
I actually featured his, yeah, <laughs> in my in my I mean, articles. <laughs> and it's about page is beautiful, right? How he's showing pictures of him and his girlfriend. How he's showing pictures of Pokemon. How was his favorite game that he likes? The movies that he viewed, and, and all of that different stuff. And and it's and no corners were cut in that process. You can see even when you present your work, right? Your portfolio, like in a case study factory, highly recommend that a bunch of people read it if you're if you're doing this now because it's a case study on case studies. Um, Fabricio says that. A case study in a portfolio is about how you solve you know, problems, right? How you identify with problems. It's not about using templates. It's not about the methods. It's about you as a person and the way that you approach something and the way that you problem solve. And even as a human being, because what we need to understand is that we're humans first. And that's the only way that we're going to really define our brand. Because when you pull back all the job titles, when you pull back everything else, it's really defining your brand. So having that ghost golden ratio or golden circle method by signing the neck right, I think that really speaks volumes too. I'm not explaining what you do, but why you're doing it. So like MLK, you know, he wasn't the only, you know, um activist rights speaker. I mean, speaker back in the day. Apple, I mean, Bill Gates, or I'm not Bill Gates, so Steve Jobs wasn't the only person selling technology during that time, right? Apple, they don't even have the best technology out. And I think they can be debated, but they're number one in the United States. Why? Because they have that connection with people. And I think a lot of people just need to form that connection. Humanity, simplicity, and innovation all weaved into one. I, I love that. I, I think you should write a book about that because <laughs> it should, it, it'll make a really good title. And and I, I, I love that you brought up Apple because I really think that, you know, what, what appeals to a lot of people about Apple is not only the quality of their product, but it's it's really their design and how simple it is. And before we haven't seen a computer this beautiful, right? You you have yeah. the PC, which is functional, which is highly competent, but it just looks, you know, very machinery. And when you look at Apple, even though I really hate this mouse, <laughs> I, I can't keep, I mean, myself from using it sometimes just because it's so sleek. So I, I, I love everything that you said and, and how I, I think a lot of designers, especially the ones that are struggling right now, hopefully they will take away from what you just said and, and really reevaluate what they've been doing, which is at the point of my article previously, right? Like when you get stuck, instead of getting frustrated, take it out on other people or say the world sucks. It really, it's like, you know, are you actually prepared, right? Are you actually really putting in to the effort and energy that like, you know, what you have done, um, which I'm again, mind blown. And so my next question is, um, tell us a little bit about the current work that you're doing. So right now I'm working at Inspire Brands, which is a brand company that is the parent company over, you know, fast food chains that you're familiar with, Arby's, Buffalo Wild Wings, Sonics, Jimmy John's, just to name a few, right? Just acquired Duncan, I think a couple of months back. And what I'm doing right now is that I'm actually, actually have full ownership over some brands. So Sonic, Buffalo Wild Wings, and I will be working on the digital admin portal as well. When it comes to Sonic, just improving the overall experience as far as like checking out and creating account and doing guest checkout and really implementing that feature into the site so we can really improve on that end. And then for Buffalo Wild Wings, we're going through this major design system change right now. So really just making some just minor you know, cosmetic changes, right, on on the website as far as like, you know, labeling, information hierarchy changes, a few things from there. So it's not a lot of work from that end. And for the digital admin portal, I don't quite know what I'm going to be getting into. Um, the product manager from, from that, you know, side or the project manager from that side, she told me that it's a lot of work. So I'm really, you know, really ready to roll up a lot of 
a lot of my sleeves. But as you can see, I'm in many different places trying to make things happen. So I'm really excited. Yeah, that sounds really great, especially how you mentioned that you have full ownership of, of projects, which is not always the case for a lot of designers. You know, if especially if you work in an environment where you're just pushing pixels or if you're just really taking care of one small things and you don't see it through. I mean, it happens in a lot of environments. Right. Um, and and I'm, I'm really glad to hear that they are trusting you and giving you a lot of responsibilities. So when you're designing and if you get stuck. How do you get unstuck? I, this is a really good question. I actually do a couple of things. So one is just taking a walk, taking some time to breathe, taking a break a couple of days from design and turning your brain off. Another one is going to Instagram. I know a lot of people because I just watched The Social Dilemma like a couple of days ago and I thought it was a pretty solid documentary. But I know a lot of people talk bad about, you know, online and social media, but I seek a lot of inspiration from Instagram, especially when it comes to machine learning and they can guess the kind of stuff I like. So I'm following like a lot of print design um, concepts, right? A lot of experimental print design, um, you know, mock-ups and things like that. This is on Instagram and I get them coming every day in my feed, like in the Explorer section. And I love that a lot because when you think about digital products, they're boring and they have limitations. But when it comes to print design, there's different rules for it, right? And just really getting a lot of inspiration to think outside of the box as well. Um, watching a lot of experimental movies too and listening to a lot of experimental music really helps. And I also collect like a lot of vinyls and album covers that really sources inspiration, like a lot of colorful stuff that I can see that can really have me thinking outside of the box too. And I think another thing is just looking at, because I really think I'm a hobbyist, right, when it comes to design, just looking at a bunch of really designed, well-designed like marketing and landing pages. But most of the time, if you're just sick of design, period, I'll just take a walk outside, turn my brain off, just listen to some music and then come back and recharge where I'm focused. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And um, I love that you get inspiration from so many different sources and, and even from vinyl covers, which actually I have the same thing. One time I was stuck on a color palette and I found this vinyl that I really love. And I'm like, I have it now, <laughs> you know, I have it now. And, and a lot of uh, obviously early stage designers, it's not really easy for, for them to come to that conclusion so quickly. And they often ask me, so how do you do it? Like, why, why do you just know, right? Like when you look at my, right. design, how do you even just provide the feedback so fast? And I told them because I've been exposed to everything about design for the past 10, you know, 12 years. So that's a lot of time being immersed in this environment. So if you do that now, in a couple of months, you'll be much more in tune with design than what you are now, right? It, it does take time, but they have to understand that it's not just like, oh, I spent eight, nine months in a boot camp and now I'm qualified. Now I'm good. That's not how it goes, right? Now it's just the start. Now you have to take the technical skills, you have the, the understanding of how design works. Now you have to do it every day. <laughs> so I love that. And um, is, is there anything that you, you like, you really like or love about design? And is if there's anything that you hate about design, is, is there a, a love-hate relationship? So Stella, can I take this from a couple of viewpoints? One on my personal thoughts and overall of the community as well, of user experience. Yeah. Okay. So First and foremost, I think, the, the and this is a positive for me, is that you're never going to stop learning, that it's a role where you put a lot of time and effort up front, 
is that to me it's similar to music since I came from a music background. So, so just so you know, really quickly, I, was, I actually made Allstate my senior year in high school. I was like the third best euphonium player. When I went into college, I was like the second best in one ensemble. So I was pretty decent. But when it comes to music, it's not something that is like, you know, instant gratification, right? You have to practice in order to get good tone, in order to get good technicality. You might hear or hear or see someone that can play really great, like a French horn player or a trombone player, and they just have awesome dexterity, right, and technique. And it's the same thing with design. Like you look on Dribble and Behance, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can never get there. But at the same time, it's like, a lot of designers that I talk to, right, and when you meet with these people, they're like, oh, yeah, I got a bunch of stuff that will never see the light of day, pretty much. Like, it's, it's completely ugly. And I have a, just a bunch of throwaway stuff. It's like they're showing their best work, right? And it takes a lot of practice and grit. I think it's it's overlaps with a lot of disciplines, which I really love as well. And I love the fact that, especially with product design, it is this hybrid role of, you know, the best business practices, best engineering mindset, rest, right? Um, best visual design practices as well. Just all rolled in to one, once again, where you can be that person that can explore and discover many different things. So I think a lot of companies are starting as a community and as a whole, that since we have like a lot of great design managers and a lot of great design communities, and a lot of companies are taking note of that when they're seeing all these fame companies, right? That now NASA is really investing in people working on folks that's building rocket ships, which is really cool. Now you have other companies um, that's working on, you know, different things. You have like education, right? That can really empower people as well. And it's like all these other different sectors in these different industries are starting to really learn the value of design. And I really love that. And it's going to create more opportunity for people. Now, something that I hate, it is something that you have to keep learning and you have to keep your skills up because if you blink and you're not up to date on your portfolio, you're not up to date on something, someone like me, if you have 10 years of experience, is going to beat you out. Because trust me, I beat out people in hiring managers. It was like, I actually turned down someone who had 10 years of experience just to meet with you. You know what I mean? And it's also the fact that, you know, tools and things are changing all the time. And there's like, for some reason, it's over-reliance on tools instead of actually problem solving, right? Um, and I'm going to say something really controversial, and I hope anyone that has experience is listening. Um, the UX community has a really long way to go. I don't know if you read like the UX Collective Fabricio's article on our industry needs a different designer, more specifically um, a, a new designer, right? And he says that UX is an elitist discipline. And I really agree with that, that in 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 theory, right? In in theory, and in, in, in rooted in this ideology, it's built on egalitarianism. It's built on you know being open and empathetic to people, right? Welcoming of all people from different backgrounds and different cultures and things like that. But unfortunately, it is very ethnocentric. It is very elitist. It is this thing where it's very um, close-minded as well. Unfortunately, in my opinion, with what I see right now and that a lot of people that work at companies, because I've, I've done this where I did my research on LinkedIn, when you look at people's background, it is, you know, pretty much the same thing. Right. It is a homogenous group of people that's working all together. And I it kind of necessarily rubs me the wrong way, because if you own a company like Twitter or Facebook or something and a lot of majority of people that's using it come from many different backgrounds and places and you're not building these products for them because you don't know what they really want, right? Or how you can make a difference in their lives. Um, that's a big issue to me. Another thing, and I just wanna mention this, is this misalignment with design education and industry expectations. And I think the guy that wrote Solving Product Design Challenges books, he points, he, he points that out in the introduction chapter as well, that in the top 1% of the companies like your Googles, right? They're hiring people in-house in and they're training like people that come from, you know, Carnegie Mellon or all these other different places, right? They're training them from the get-go. 
and making them into like really awesome, amazing designers and all that. But other designers that work on com at other different companies, they're not going to have that pathway, right? They're not going to have someone to really hone and coach them. Because believe it or not, when you get hired as a junior, a lot of times you might be working by yourself or you might be working with a manager that's not the best or the most skilled at what they do. So you're not going to be learning about strategy, systems thinking, right? You're not going to be learning about all these other different things or what it takes in order to get into a top company and get hired there. So when you go in and interview, even if you have like four years of experience at the same company, it's going to get to a point where, okay, I'm really far behind because my visual skills are not up to par. They're asking me questions on systems thinking. What in the hell is that, right? They're asking me all these questions on how do I know when a product is successful and I'm just missing it. I'm really lacking in that skill. And I think that especially with boot camp grads and, and entry level people trying to break in, there's just a missing piece of it. And I think we need to know how to design impacts business, how to speak with non-designers, how to really, you know, carry on a conversation with your manager or other more experienced people, right, for your team is not in a room because all that really matters. And I think just going beyond just getting paid, breaking in, saying, oh, I need you to take a chance on me really proving yourself because a lot of these companies they won't admit it but but I'll I'll say it to be honest they don't have they don't they don't they just don't have the environment to support someone that's entry level they just don't and if you want to go work there you're going to be miserable because you're not going to get the attention or the help you need and you're going to have people dictating you when they shouldn't be in the first place right so that's something that I really dislike and that's something that I'm really hope I'm really hoping that it improves in the future because I think if we invite more people from different backgrounds, the design industry can really change for the better, in my opinion. Yeah, no, this is wow. You know, th there's so many things to unpack here. What you just said, especially how uh, you know we we talked about diversity, right? And and diversity of of you know like racial diversity and viewpoints and backgrounds. And I really really concur with that because I'm a design educator now. And unfortunately, of the many students I have taught, I have not seen a lot of diversity, which is which is heartbreaking, you know, and, and, and I'm like, where are all the black designers? You know, what I mean, and 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 how do we reach them? Right. How do we cultivate more of them? And when you talk about the systems that companies don't have to help younger designers. And that's something that I have personally experienced a lot when I was working in the corporate world. It really, it's, it's, it's like, they don't think about that ecosystem. They, they just want to get things done from where they are right now. So they, they couldn't care less, right? They couldn't care less to cultivate the next generation of talent. And, and really everything is about profit for now, which, which isn't a bad thing, but in, in the long term, we need more company to step up to really bridge that gap. And from an education standpoint, I was wondering, what do you think um, schools, boot camps can do more to help students cultivate their soft skills, especially because I know a lot of students, they have the hard skills now, but the soft skills are really something that will really make or break an interview or um, if you're going to be the right fit for an environment or if you're going to be successful in the long term. What do you think they can do? I still think the I'm I'm going to be honest. I still think the hard skills are kind of lacking from a lot of students. Um, just seeing like their design execution, from what I'm noticing in, in in their portfolios and other different things, even from college students, right, as well, because I've seen a lot of their stuff. Um, I think just really honing in on the hard skills, and when it comes to the soft skills, I, and I'll be honest with you, a program that I went to is called Year Up. Are you familiar with it, Stella? No, I'm not. Oh, you should highly look into it and really um, become a mentor there. But it's a nonprofit for young adults, 18 to 24, that didn't graduate from college. And of course, they have their diploma that it gives them 
actual skills that you would need in a corporate environment. And what they teach at Europe, which is what I love, is they teach, well, when I was there, they taught us on ethics. They taught us on sending like, you know, just simple stuff like cold emails, um, outreach, reaching out to someone, doing salutations, public speaking. When we did our public speaking classes, um, the panel went, and maybe because we were all African-American, right? But they went really hard on us. And the thing that I noticed in the design community is like you said, a lot of people don't tell the truth. A year up, they told us the truth. When we did public speaking, when it came to filler words, you got docked on that. Or you're not prepared, you're going to get docked on that for your points. And not only that, we're going to tell you to go back and do it again, or we're giving you a 50. And they would give your grade in front of your peers as well. And I it just that. made me better. <laughs> Interviewing, right? Even like the whole tell me about yourself thing. Like they really drilled that into us and made us better. So I think from a design standpoint, you really want to get outside of the, this is what you're, instead of focusing on what, the why, right? To really focusing on why do you use a user flow? Who are you going to use it for? When do you introduce a user flow, right? As well. And, and let me know if you want me to use like an example of that on how you would use it in a work environment too. And then say, and, and then talk about how do you work with product managers? How do you work with engineers? How do you meet deadlines? What do you do when you get burnt out, right? Having these kind of conversations. And once you prepare people for this, and then I think these colleges and boot camps, I think they should really start partnering up with nonprofits because there's a bunch on Catch a Fire and Taproot that still are in need, right, of like free work and working with them, but making sure that the, that student is working on the right thing. So working with engineers, working with actual stakeholders, really getting in the weeds of things, because now that you've been through all that stuff, you have something to talk about, right? With Revitalize, with my case study that I have, I actually worked with actual engineers. I worked with actual people. There were actual constraints in a sense. So I was able to tell that story and talk about it, cloud charts. That was for a stakeholder, right? Even though I'm passionate about music, I actually got to learn why people don't understand. I mean, why people can't really branch out and listen to different music and why are those barriers there, especially in 2020, right, as well. Um, I, I think that when it just comes to education, it's really just focusing on, instead of focusing on fake projects, because I understand that there needs to be passion projects always, but those passion projects need to be exploratory, right? I think when you make case study, it needs to be on real, real work. Because when I talk to hiring managers, I connect with hiring managers on the ADP list all the time, right? And a lot of them tell me, even one guy told me that I don't really care about fake stuff. I just want to see a real project and I want to know about your outcomes. And when you talk to students about outcomes, real projects, but also tell them, be ethical, right? Don't don't sacrifice, you know, what's going to be best for this user. Be ethical, but really explain the business rationale and the decision behind why you're building it as well. I think if we just start having these conversations and start having examples on this is what I did, this is what you do as well, that that would be really great, right? When you think about it, that would be really great when you can invite someone in for reflection and say, why did you make this decision? Because that's what my boss does with me, by the way. We, well, we hired a new manager, so now I'm not no longer having one-on-ones. But when we used to have one-on-ones, he used to say, I want to hear your thought decision instead of you failed. You know what I mean? You can't pass. Or here's your certificate. You You did a great job. No, it was more on... I want to understand your rationale and decision behind this. Like, explain it to me, right? And I will explain it to him. He says, I'm not saying that you're wrong, but just explain it to me. And he says, okay, maybe we could have took a different approach to this. And I want you to think about when you're designing this, think about how all of this is going to scale. What if we get a bunch of franchises, right? How are we going to scale all these cards if we have a bunch of franchises on the page? What about marketing? What about this? Even if, like, let's say for school, for example. So let's translate that to school, right? Or a learning environment. So let's say you're learning something on information architecture and you might have like level one through 50 and you might have like a really complex one, right? Like Salesforce saying, oh, 
this is the dashboard that has 50 features on it on, on, on a front level, on the surface, right? On the front end. And that with these 50 features, we're adding more features, like seven features in here. I want you to move some of these components around, right? And I want you to place these features on here. Okay, so you do that. So now when you talk to a person that's like a UX architect or really aficionado in information architecture, they'll say, okay, I see that you did this, but did you check with developers about this? Did you see how it was going to work in the back end? Oh, did you check with marketing and branding, right, that you're working with? Because I thought they were using this. Oh, no? Okay, then maybe you want to go back to the chapter on working with actual non-designers and working with developers in a sense. And really, and if a person does a great job, right, it's not necessarily this sense of mastery, but it's this sense of, okay, you did pretty well on this, but I really want you to think about this for the near future. And I really want you to work on this because this can use a lot of improvement, right? So now when a person goes into an actual work environment, they can really apply all of these different skills that they learn from like a soft critical thinking standpoint instead of just using necessary hard skills. It's, it's really amazing how you know all of this with not that many years of experience. You know what I mean? I, I know all of that because I've worked so long in the industry and I've worked in really big environments. And what you just said, it completely, you know, just, just, it, it just reminded me of everything that happened before. Right. So there are a lot of things where, when new designers, they don't even know, Oh, I got to do that. You know, I got to check with those people. I don't even, you know, what, like nobody told me that. Right. So, and I really right. love your suggestion about partnering up with nonprofits because it reminds me of my two year volunteer tenure with a volunteer um, organization. It's a nonprofit in back in New York where I, uh, where I lived and they train, um, uh, young college students who are first generation college students um, up on their professional skills. And there's no wonder that you speak so well because you went to that uh, program, right? And I'm going to check it out totally. Uh, but I but I really appreciate, you know, this connection because I, I, I think I think companies and schools have overlooked that a lot. And 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 if I had a program like that, I which I did not, you know, when I was in college, I I would have been a much better speaker now. I mean, you know, I'm still improving, but but it's something that a, a lot of a lot of younger designers or whoever who's working in whatever industry don't even think about, right? That's a necessity. Definitely. So my last question to you is, what's coming up for you? Do you have any um, updates? Do you have any side projects you're working on? Share uh, share any up updates with us. Definitely. So. Remember how I told you how UX should be taught, what I want to do, and, and I know it's going to disrupt the industry, but I want to start an open source program for people who know the basics already, but want to go deeper into different things. So it'll be on Notion, and it'll be on service design, information architecture, visual design, right? Also, um, product strategy, marketing, everything that you would need to know. Um, oh, design ops as well. They're throwing that in there, right? So it's a lot of different things. And I'm pretty sure you know there's many different facets and size to design. So really creating like an open source documentation where people can go to learn that. Because a lot of times when I'm in the ZineX community, and even when I talk to like, you know, people that are entry level for UX design that's working, they're always saying, I want to go deeper in the UX or I want to go deeper in this area. How do I do it? And no one has an answer to them. And I'm thinking that no one has an answer because it isn't that black and white, right? That you apply all these different methods and different things because there's different industries. So why don't we create something like that where there's different worksheets on different use cases for different industries that you're going to work in or different products, right, that you're working on as well. And then doing those worksheets and going to an aficionado 
in the adplist.org or, or somewhere where they can really talk to you about that. Like, once again, like a manager does one-on-ones, right, with, with a person at a company. That's how you get better when you think about it. It's actually from one-on-ones and design critique sessions. So you have this person just getting better and thinking about these things. So instead of just saying, I learned this, right, saying that I'm really skilled at this now. And I could take it and apply it to all these different use cases, right, that I'm doing now. Um, some other things, I'm working on e-commerce. Um, I, I think I will reach out to this person because I was really swamped a couple of weeks ago. So I'm going to work on an e-commerce platform, helping my friend with this um, All Loves ATL clothing line that he has. Um, it's going to be pretty big. So I'm really excited about that. Had a friend named Brian, who's a really talented designer, help my friend build that workshop and kind of launch it through Shopify, which is really cool. Um, I'm going to be working on helping some people, you know, if, if, if this, if, if they can stick it through helping some people really break in that don't have any knowledge whatsoever of design, but giving them entire run through. And by the end, when they finish their portfolio, like they're going to be really ready and blow like hiring managers and employers away. Cause it's not just having a great portfolio, right? It's the interviews that you're going to have to get through. And when they give you an rejection, it's going to be, well, we just look for someone with more experience and we wanted to play it safe. Like that's the only feedback you're going to get, right? That's the kind of level that I want to get them on. So those are all the things that's pretty much coming up. That is so exciting. So you have an e-commerce app design coming up and you have, um, and you have, a you know, mentoring projects, you have an open source project. I, I really love all of, all, all of these exciting things in, in so many diverse areas that you're working on. And, I guess I have a bonus question before we before we wrap up. So going back to the diversity of design, what do you think we can do to bring more people from different backgrounds to design? Like how can we open up the access to them? Because I I, I know for a fact that a lot of a lot of folks from, you know, underrepresented community just don't think design as a viable option of career for them. Um you so there's a lot of things to, once again, it's not that black and white, right? It, it is it, it is a lot of nuances to it. And life is like really complex, in my opinion. I think first and foremost, finding the right people who have that mindset for it, right? Who can really make a difference where you can see it in them as well. Like notice them. So it, like if you notice that there's this kid, right? in a, a lower, you know, um, income community and he's like selling candy bars on the block and he's like really hustling and he's like making a bunch of money off of it. You're like, oh, he can be, you know, better than Donald Trump, right? He can be better than other entrepreneurs that's out there. I want to take him under my wing and do that. And I think one thing when you talk about diversity, I don't think it's used as something to fill quota, but it's used to make change and difference and in, in, in a difference right within your community. And I, and I remember someone saying that to me and I wholeheartedly agree with that and bring a new and fresh perspective as well. So I think that it's going to be, I honestly think in order to bring um, diversity and get people within design, and I was going to do this for year up, but I don't think I'm there yet because I know that design is a really, uh, it's a demanding discipline and in order, and I think people should experiment regardless, right? Like get into it and see if it's for them, even if they spend money, in my opinion, because even if they don't make a career out of design, there's still a lot of great takeaways, right? That you get from it. But I, I think that it's a career that's not just like everything else is not going to be for everyone, but really finding that person where you see it in them, right? 
where they don't even know anything about user experience, but they but they're creative. They think outside of the box. So Gear Up, for example, when I was there, I wish back in 2013 or 2015, one of those years, someone would have told me about user experience design because I think right now I probably would have been in a director position, you know, or owning my own company if I had all those years leading up to now. Um, Gear Up, there's also like after school programs as well where you can go to and really just speak to people right because think about it you have all these trade schools and all these other different um you know occupations and careers going to like job corps and going to high schools especially for seniors right and especially in low-income community neighborhoods or like you know people well, well people of color like those neighborhoods right that's telling them about oh you can do this in plumbing oh you can do this in welding oh you can do this by being a certified nurse but how many people do that about design saying do you know how your products are built just starting off a conversation like that right because i do it with uber drivers they say what do you do i say well you ever been to an e-commerce site well I, I tell them this i keep websites from looking bad and they say wait explain i say you ever been to an e-commerce site and you ever and you're shopping and you love shopping so much, but the shopping cart is always on the left hand left top of the page, right? So you're thinking, man, I really love this site, but I wish the shopping cart would be placed on a website. So next time there's an update to the website, the shopping cart not only follows you around on the right hand side, but now you can make changes in real time without going to another page. So now that's really um, you're really excited because now you feel like someone has listened to you. That's what I do. I make things better for people. You know, and explain. So if you go to like a really, you know, you go to a year up or job core or something or, you know, a high school where a bunch of seniors or even college children are in. Right. And you talk to them about user experience design and just talk about it on a basic term. Like, you know how you use Facebook, you know how you use all these digital products. This is the career that I do. And I want to share it with you all and share it with people who might be interested in that because it's really fun. It's, it's really great, but it's also very hard. And, and let them know that it's going to be hard and that it's not going to be for everyone but it's really rewarding as well. And, and you get X, Y, and Z. And I think just having those conversations and really introducing people to that, we really just expose people more. Cause there's a lot of stuff on YouTube and there's a lot of things that are exposing folks like on Instagram, right? This out there, don't get me wrong. And of course, General Assembly, they're bringing awareness by having their stuff out there. But at the same time, if you introduce it to someone at a younger level and you really under, you know, make them understand the concepts and how it's powerful, that's really great. On a quick side note, by the way, there's this book called Program or Be Program by Douglas Rushkoff, I think that's his name. And he was talking about how you have two different people in the world, right? People who code and people who don't code and how the people who code controls people's lives. And I was thinking that that's kind of wrong because at the end of the day, it's actually like product managers and designers making decisions, right? It's really designed or be designed. And that I think that this is something that everyone should know about and be aware of because it's really important how design impacts our lives in a negative or positive way. Won't you agree? And just explaining that people, people and starting off that conversation as well is really important to really get some of people who are like coming from engineering or coming from other different backgrounds or having that mindset, no matter who they are. Right. Even if they're like second to last in their class having that mindset as well. And like I said, identifying those people because, and I'm just going to say this, and I know I've been kind of ranting on for a long time, but I just want to say, I have a friend that works at Lockheed and Martin. His name is Terrence and he's an engineer, right? And he was telling me a couple of years back that a high schooler can do his job. He gets paid like six figures to look at models of airplanes and figure out what parts to take out to make the run more efficiently and cheaper, right? And he's like, a high schooler can do my job. And I was saying, what makes you think that? And he was like, because I didn't need to go through calculus and algebra and all that in college in order to do this job. And I think it's easy. But I said, there can be someone that's a valedictorian from like Duke University or Carnegie Mellon that probably can't do that because they don't have that mindset for it. Right. 
So I said it could probably be someone that's like second to last in their high school class or didn't even graduate college. They can't really do algebra or anything, but they can build a car from scratch because, Stella, I'm pretty sure you've seen people like that, right, where they fail because it's not really their fault that they're failing classes. It's the fact that college or school wasn't engaging for them, right? So when you take that aspect of really identifying what makes a person tick, what really lies within their full passion, that would be great as well. Another thing, implementing all that into education, too, and kind of pushing that right onto schools on saying these are things that we want people to be aware of. These are career paths that we want people to be aware of, too. And you need to push this in your curriculum or make it mandatory that someone from a well-known company like Facebook or all these other different places come and speak with children and, and have a meaningful conversation. Not this cookie cutter thing on you want to break into design and make money. Right. But more on philosophy side of it on this is what we do. This is how we make impact and change in the world. And then, of course, you could talk about pay and all that kind of stuff, but that's not the main thing to bring up. So, yeah, hopefully all that makes sense. I, I kind of apologize for going on that long time, yeah. but yeah. No, that's that's amazing. You talked about so many different issues and I'm trying to keep up with all of them. <laughs> but but no, I, my takeaway is you're you're re really talking about doing a lot of grassroots movements, right? It, it's yeah. really like kind of starting them young and bringing a, awareness to um, community that previously was not even exposed to it. It's not that they don't want to go into it maybe don't they don't even know there's an option, right? Like that that's a really important factor. And and you spoke about so many things and that I just wish like everything that we can just like frame it into a quote. <laughs> and then like, you know, um, I, I, I really appreciate you joining us today. And I think you've given us more than we asked for, <laughs> frankly. And I I really love your enthusiasm in in design and in general in in, in life. I and I, I I wholeheartedly agree with what you said about mindset. It's not about your degree. It's not about your skill set. Sometimes it's the mindset. It, it kind of reminds me of a really tiny incident a couple of years ago when I was working for a, a large company. And I just had this um, personal finance book laying on my desk. And my boss came over and she's like, what, what, what are you reading? And I just told her about the book. And somehow she kind of gave off the sort of like the, the reaction that I don't understand why you're reading a book like that, you know? And I'm like, why not? You know, it, it's the mindset that's actually going to change your your tra trajectory in life and change your habits. So I digress. But um, thank you so much for joining us today. And we learn so much and we hope that our, our audience have learned as much or even more than I have. Um, again, thank you so much for joining. My name is Stella Guan, uh, founder and CEO of Path and Bound. We will see you again next time.